you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3 this morning. Philippians, chapter 3. We're going to read together verses 1 through 11. And we're going to cover most of those verses in the time that we have together. Philippians, chapter 3. There's a bit of a change of tone in the Apostle Paul's voice as he speaks to the Philippian church here in chapter 3. We've titled this series of messages from Philippians, Always Rejoicing. And certainly the Apostle Paul is rejoicing. He calls upon the church at Philippi to rejoice, even in verse 1 of our text. But there's a measure of anger in the voice of the Apostle Paul as well. As he speaks of those who would subvert the gospel of Jesus Christ, who would undermine the church at Philippi and even discount Paul's ministry. Paul speaks severely of those who have opposed the true gospel of Jesus Christ with their own distortion of the gospel. It is a natural experience. It's common that we would defend with a righteous indignation that which brings us the highest joy. It is bothersome to me when the gospel is trifled with. It is troubling to me. In fact, it angers me to hear the name of my Savior taken in vain. I'd just rather you just flat cuss than, than misuse the name of my Jesus. The Apostle Paul takes a tone likened unto that here in Philippians chapter 3. If you found your way there in your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect and honor for its reading. Philippians 3, we'll read verses 1 through 11. God's Word says, beginning in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. 
Paul is here addressing a counter to the gospel being preached in the city of Philippi, and this is not the only city where this heresy is being preached. What you have here is a gospel plus formula. The suggestion that what you need to save you from your sin, to unite you in fellowship with God, is yes, the gospel, but something else in addition to that. It was a heresy in the first century, and it's a heresy today. What we need is not the gospel plus something else. What we need is the gospel and the gospel alone. Now, I want to press on that this morning, and I want you to strain with your minds to understand the magnitude, the force of this statement, that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that can save us from our sin. It is only the gospel. Now, you'll spend the rest of your Christian life examining that, looking at that from different perspectives, celebrating that in your heart. One of the things that I hope moves you to worship when we assemble on the Lord's day is the gospel. It's not just that we need the preaching of the gospel for those who are entering into the kingdom. Saints of old need to hear the preaching of the gospel, to see the gospel in different ways from a different perspective, to celebrate in our hearts what it is that Christ has done for us. There is always, always, always this, this creeping, nagging, gnawing thought that somehow, some way, it's the consequence of humanity's pride, that somehow, some way, we're contributing something to our salvation. When in reality, it is Christ, and it is Christ alone that can or has saved us from our sin. It's only Christ. Now, we're going to look at the better part of this passage. But virtually all of what the Apostle Paul says in these 11 verses can be summarized by what has been said in verses 1 through 3. Go back to verse number 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Now, this is not the first time in the letter to the church at Philippi that we have heard Paul command rejoice. In fact, many times until now, Paul has said rejoice. In fact, once he said rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He said it twice in a single verse. We have heard the constant refrain of Philippians that we are to be a people who find our joy in Jesus. We are to be always rejoicing if we, as we've titled this series of messages. We are to be a joyful, glad-hearted people because of what Jesus has done for us. But consider what Paul is saying here within the context of addressing those who would teach a false gospel. A false gospel that is based on our working to earn the favor of God. Paul says, rejoice in Jesus Christ. He's saying here, don't let your joy be found in your ability to obey today. Don't let your joy be found in your adherence to any religious ritual. Let your joy be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Whether it be your best day of faithful obedience or your worst day of utter failure, your joy is stable, steadfast, and solid in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
rejoice in Christ. And I would add, rejoice in Christ alone. Now, if, if you're evaluating yourself here, wouldn't we have to say in honesty that on those days when we seem to hit all the bullseyes, that there's a different pep about our step? But I would have you to know that every indication is that Jesus is as near, if not nearer, on our worst days than he is on our best days. That there is grace and there is mercy and there is compassion for the chief of sinners through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that pep in our step on our best day that may be the very thing that insulates us from the nearness of God enjoyed on our worst day. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Brothers and sisters, let your joy be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not the circumstances of your life, not the condition of the world around us, God help us. Not how swimmingly things are going in your personal experience, not even how well you've managed to maintain a certain degree of obedience in your life. Let your joy be in Jesus, and you'll always be glad-hearted. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And I write, in this particular instance, concerning rejoicing for your protection, he says. Because if you ever let yourself begin to find joy in your ability to maintain obedience, very quickly your joy is going to be snatched away. There's this concern for virtually every New Testament writer. We just finished 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And what did John say? I have written these things in order that your joy might be made full. And then he gives this explanation of the gospel that it's not our works, but Christ's work on our behalf that saved us from our sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only lasting source of joy in the universe. Avail yourself of the beauty and the truth of the gospel and find joy everlasting. In verse 2, Paul says, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, some of your translations will render what Paul has said in verse 2 somewhat differently. But they're all, all, three fra all three phrases, dogs, evil workers, and those who mutilate the flesh, they're all referring to the same group of people. Do you get the impression Paul is not happy with that group of people? The, the reference to mutilating the flesh is a reference to a misunderstanding of the ceremonial or religious rite of circumcision. Circumcision originates in Genesis chapter 17 as the mark of Israel, as an external mark to indicate that these are the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the covenant people of God. And that concept or theme of covenant runs throughout the scripture and is an important theme. We have entered into covenant with God. There's a a contractual level of that, but there's more than that. There's a, almost a marriage level there. There's a faithfulness on the part of God who has entered into covenant with us. Covenant is critically important. You can spend the rest of your Christian life understanding covenant as well and the, the binding together of God and his people by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 17. 
You have the furtherance of that covenant through Moses in the Exodus event of the book of Exodus as the people of Israel are brought out of their Egyptian bondage. And even the prophets deal with the concept of covenant. Isaiah and Ezekiel spoke of a covenant of peace that was coming, a covenant in addition to those already established between God and the people of God. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33 spoke of a new covenant that was coming whereby we had the law of God written upon our heart. Whereas the law has been this external thing in so many ways, God says in the new covenant, the law is going to be written on your heart so much so that you need no teacher. I'm going to do a new thing through this suffering servant that Isaiah has spoken of. And when Jesus gathered the disciples on the night before his crucifixion, he broke bread and said, take and eat in remembrance of me. He took a cup and passed it among the 12 and said, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sin. Jesus understood, the disciples understood that Jesus was continuing and fulfilling this covenant promise of the Old Testament. And so there is this counter to the gospel in Paul's day that says that in order to be converted to Christianity, you need first to be converted to Judaism. What they really boiled things down to was this external, religious, ceremonial rite of circumcision. You need to first be converted to Judaism in order to be converted to Christianity. Now, don't trouble yourself so much with the whole idea of converting to one thing and then to another thing, or even the specifics of the heresy that Paul is addressing. What you need to note is that anything that says gospel plus anything else is a heretical departure from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul refers to them for their emphasis on circumcision as those who would mutilate the flesh. But he tells us in verse number three, you want to know who the real people of the circumcision are? In other words, the people of the covenant? And Paul gets this, right? You see this all over Paul's writings. He deals with this throughout the book of Galatians. He deals with this in Romans. In Romans, he says, make no mistake, not all of Israel are Israel. It's not the external marking, but the internal change of heart that makes us of the covenant people. Paul says, I'll tell you who the covenant people are, who the people of the circumcision are. They are us by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who would serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. This, this, this group over here, Paul says, they claim to be this. But in reality, that's who we are. That's who we, we are, the covenant people. We are the covenant people by faith in Jesus Christ. No, no matter how alluring, no matter how pious their message may sound to you, no matter how much you may see them laboring and striving toward adherence to this system they have established, we have rested from our works in Jesus. We are the people of the circumcision. We are the people of the covenant. We are in God because we are in Christ by faith and through his blood. I think this same danger exists today. There's a certain allure to the, to the preachers of piety, even when they drift from the gospel. Because in such an immoral culture, we want to see righteousness exalted, right? We want to hear a high call to faithful obedience. And so there's some appeal there. But brothers and sisters, 
No labor, no striving, no maintained obedience in our life can win the favor of God. It's only the blood of Jesus that can save us from our sin. Understand that the Apostle Paul is consistently criticized in his ministry, as is Jesus, with going easy on sin. Does that help to sort of balance the scales a little bit, to put some things into perspective? In Romans 6, Paul is addressing this misunderstanding of his message where they said, we should sin more in order that grace may abound. The constant criticism of Jesus' ministry is that he spends far too much time with sinners. Have you seen this ragtag group of disciples he's assembled for himself? You have religious and political zealots. You have a hot-headed fisherman. You, You realize Peter had been with Jesus for three and a half years, and he pulled a knife on a man and lopped off his ear. These are the kind of people that Jesus calls to himself. They all abandoned Jesus. But they were covered in the blood of Christ. And brothers and sisters, therein lies our righteousness before God. We are the people of the covenant, not because we mutilate the flesh, not because we attend religious services, not because we're better than someone else, not because we grew up in the right location or had the right kind of parents. We are the people of God if we are the people of God because we have been washed by the blood of the only begotten Lamb of God. We are the circumcision, Paul says, who serve in the power of the Spirit and who put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in your flesh, in your abilities, in your work. But we're always drifting in that direction, aren't we? Again, we really like to convince ourselves that somehow, some way, we're contributing something to our salvation. We're doing something that's winning, that's earning, that's meriting the favor of God in our life, when in reality we are bankrupt, broken, dead in our sins and trespasses. You realize why the the metaphor of our being dead in sins and trespasses is used so frequently in the New Testament. It is to emphasize that we were unresponsive, we were cold, we were incapable And in spite of that, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Every illustration of the work of the gospel in us, every metaphor that the Bible employs to teach us about the gospel, it presses the reality that it's Christ who has saved us from our sin and not our own personal efforts. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. To help us understand this better, Paul begins in verse number four to describe all of the advantages and benefits that he had within his own personal life. Now he's counted these as loss in comparison to the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus as Lord over his life. He says, I've put no confidence in the flesh in verse four, although I once had confidence in the flesh. That is, before coming to faith in Jesus, I was relying upon the works of the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says this group that's come in, that's invaded the church and sought to unsettle your faith, your confidence in the gospel, if they think they're religious, I've got something to show them. He describes himself in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Paul is describing the circumstances of his birth, some of these circumstances beyond his control. 
To be circumcised the eighth day was to conform with the prescription of the old covenant law, but it was beyond the judgment of the infant child, understandably. You don't make decisions about medical procedures at eight days old. To be circumcised on the eighth day from birth was an indication that you were born into a godly heritage, that your mother and father had certain sensitivities to the commandments of the law. They saw to it that the Apostle Paul was circumcised according to ceremonial rite, just as the old covenant law had prescribed it. He says, I was born in the nation of Israel, which is in and of itself a pretty special thing. But more than that, the Apostle Paul was born of the tribe of Benjamin, which suggests a real sensitivity on the part of his parents and his ancestry at being aware of their ancestral lineage within the nation of Israel. It was fairly common for one to understand something of their ancestry. We're probably more careless with that as Americans than virtually any other culture in the world. But to identify yourself with the tribe of Benjamin was an especially narrow sect or narrow tribe within the nation of Israel. When the kingdoms divided themselves into northern and southern kingdoms, there were ten tribes that went to the north. Those ten tribes always been on evil, but two tribes in the southern kingdom, Benjamin and Judah. And for a series of bad decisions on the part of the people of Benjamin, their numbers were greatly reduced. And because Judah so much outnumbered smaller Benjamin in the south, Benjamin was all but forgotten about, and the southern kingdom was always referred to by the name of its largest tribe, the people of Judah. They were almost swallowed up, Benjamin was, by the tribe of Judah. But the apostle Paul identified himself with this fledgling tribe that had such an important position in the history of Israel. The first king in Israel's history, Saul, the Benjaminite, from whom Paul presumably got his name, was the first king and a significant figure in Israel's history. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm from a pretty important family, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Benjaminite by birth. Now, what he's speaking of here are the natural advantages of his birth. And Paul says, I count them as loss. They're of no benefit. The natural advantages of your birth cannot save you from your sin." Now, virtually all of you were born into a culture, into a society where at a minimum, Christian values were honored or at least made a place for, accommodated on some level. Most of you were born into the Bible Belt South where at least lip service was given to celebrating Christian values. And a great many of you were born into homes with mothers and fathers who loved Jesus and who put a great deal of emphasis on bringing you up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. But I want you to know, those are wonderful things, not to be discounted, by the way, but I want you to know that there are no grandchildren to God and that your ancestral lineage your heritage, no matter how marvelous it may be, cannot save you from your sin. The natural advantages that may have come with the circumstances of your birth, your family setting, or the environment into which you were born, even the religious practice of those around you, cannot save you from your sin. Now Paul shifts here from the natural advantages of his birth to his religious accomplishments. He says, I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law of Pharisee. 
Now, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, a Pharisee is a certain group within the Jews who were extreme. They had given themselves over to the absolute, total adherence to the law. There was a group uh, believed to be known within the Hebrews called, called the bruised and battered. And they were bruised and battered because they would close their eyes while walking down the street to prevent any lust on their part and walk into things. There were a variety of silly, even stupid things that they would do to try to give some demonstration of their righteousness. These were people who were devoted to keeping every jot and tittle of God's word at least every jot and tittle that they were satisfied with keeping. That's another discussion for another day. The short of the long is this. Paul says, I was the best of the best when it came to religion. I, I was among the elite when it came to exercising the religion that was Judaism. Regarding zeal, that is how fervent, how fired up, how excited, how passionate I was for religion, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul says, I, I was so fired up about my religion that anyone that would dare be a threat to my religious practice, I would hunt them down, have them arrested, and in at least one case, have them stoned to death. That's how zealous I was for the, for the fulfillment or the satisfaction of my religious practice. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I, I, I was a good doer. And he says in verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Do you realize what Paul is doing? Paul is accounting for his life. Paul, Paul takes all of the, the good things that he done, he's done and he puts them in a single column. He's adding them all up. He takes the advantages of his birth, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, Ancestral lineage, circumcised the eighth day, all of the advantage of coming up in a, in a Jewish house, puts them all down. And then he takes all of his religious accomplishments. I persecuted the church. I was a Pharisee. I was a faithful adherent to the commands of God's word. I did all of these things that were expected of me to do, puts them all in a single column. And at the bottom, he adds them all up. And the sum total of them all, Paul says, is loss. It's loss. It's not zero. It's less than zero. It's loss, the Apostle Paul says. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning, hear the message of the Apostle Paul. If you take all of the natural advantages of having grown up where you grew up, you just put them all down in one column. Beneath them, put all, all of the religious accomplishments, all of the things that you have achieved in your life, all, all, of, all of the contributions that you've made to the kingdom. You just put them all down. Strike a line across the bottom and add them all up. And what you'll come up, the sum total of your contribution will be loss. We are not contributing to and we are not saved by the things that we have done, but by faith in Jesus Christ. For all of my preaching ministry, I've, I've heard preachers say things like, you don't have to be baptized or attend a church service or read the Bible, or pick your discipline in order to be a Christian. I think I understand the motive, although I think it's wrong-headed and it gives the wrong impression. I think the motive is to communicate something that, in essence, would sound more like this. You can be baptized, and you can read your Bible, and you can attend perfectly church services, and you can be religious in all your ways, and apart from being covered in the blood of Jesus, you will perish in a sinner's hell for all of eternity. That's the message 
That's what the Apostle Paul describes, right? Because he's got it all together. He's not the mess that I was in my former life, although he is a mess. He's, he's a socially and religiously acceptable mess, where I was a discard. But he seems to have it all together, right? He's checking all of the boxes. He's living a socially acceptable, morally pure by the standards of this world lifestyle. And apart from the Damascus Road conversion, the forgiveness of sin that comes only through Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, for all of his zeal and for all of his sincerity, was bound for a sinner's hell apart from Christ. Brothers and sisters, for all of your moral purity, for all of your religious fervor, for all of your activity, involvement in baptism and Lord's Supper and various services and connect group involvement, Apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you will perish in a sinner's hell for all of eternity. Uh, this is just to press that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's Christ that saves us from our sins. We are dead in our sins and trespasses, but have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Understand the magnitude of what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. It's not our efforts at righteousness. It's not our religious practice. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us white as snow. We took all of our goodness, all of our goodness, and put it into one man, one person, one person of our composite goodness, his goodness would not measure up. His, good, his goodness could not merit the favor of God. He would be looked upon by the Father and determined to be as filthy rags. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that merits favor from the Father. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin. We have contributed nothing to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. It is Christ, and it is Christ alone that saves us from our sin. Oh, get this. Understand this. Wrestle with this reality. Reckon with this. You, you want to believe. You have reserved somewhere in your brain, somewhere in the deep, dark crevices of your heart, a place for your contribution. Even now, you're thumbing through in your mind ways that you might have contributed, ways that you had perhaps set the stage or conditioned your heart, how someone else may have been an influence or a factor, but you rest assured it was Christ and it was Christ alone that saved you from your sin. If you're here as a lost person, it won't be your efforts or the contribution of anyone else. It will be Christ and Christ alone that will save you from your sin if you're to be saved. Are y'all with me? I, 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 need, I need to know that you, you're really wrestling with this concept. Brothers and sisters, this is the message of the gospel. That the only hope for our salvation is Jesus. And I, I need you to be aware that there are competing gospels at play in the world today that would have you to believe that yes, the gospel is good, but you need these other additions. That there is a competing gospel at work in your heart, the product of human pride, that would suggest to you, yes, the gospel is good, but you need these other additions or contributions. It is Christ and it is Christ alone.
Go back to verse 7. Everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Can you say with the Apostle Paul, this is the subtle difference between a legalistic striving and a Christ-exalting striving? Is your, is your goal to keep commandments or to know him? Paul says, my aim, my goal, my ambition is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and to be conformed to his death. Now listen to me. I know, I know that being saved produces in us faithful obedience. I know that knowing him produces in us adherence, obedience to the various commands of Christ on our life. I've got all of that. But the difference between striving to obey commandments and striving to know him is as different as daylight from dark. And I fear, because I see it in myself so often, that our efforts are largely focused on keeping commandments to the neglect of knowing him. When the secret, the mystery of the gospel, unveiled before our eyes is this. The answer to keeping commands is to know him. Our aim, our goal, the purpose of our life is to know Jesus evangelistically, I'm done, I'm out on, on beginning those conversations with, do you know Jesus? Because everybody I talk to knows Jesus. And most of the people I talk to do not know Jesus. Y'all know what I mean? Y'all tracking with me? I, I'm, I'm to a place where I want to begin with, do you, do you love Jesus? It's startling to ask people about that. It's almost as though we don't give any thought to the call of God on our life to love Jesus. Like we, we keep his commandments as a faithful subject, but this idea of this impassioned relationship with Jesus is something that's seldom considered, and it's never considered within cultural Christianity. We're just checking boxes. We're just meeting certain standards and expectations. Brothers and sisters, strive, labor, make the aim of your life be to know him. And when you know him, you will surely love him. Our salvation is based in grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Aren't you glad for that? That on your best day or on your worst day, that our soul is firmly anchored in the cross of our Savior Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I pray 
that the simplicity of the gospel, the beauty of what you have done for us through Jesus, Lord, would be so impressed upon our hearts and minds that as, as, we, as we think through, as we process what you've done for us as believers, and perhaps even as unbelievers, give thought to what you've done for our salvation, what you intend to do in them, that you would just move us, God. There's nothing groundbreaking about anything that I've said here this morning. These are truths as old as the gospel itself. I, I pray that reflecting anew on these principles, on these truths of the gospel, God, would move us to worship you in our innermost, God, that our hearts would be moved, that as we know you, God, we would love you and worship with great passion and zeal. I pray that you would help us to hear the call of Jesus on our life, to the weary and the heavy laden, to come to Jesus, to find our rest, one whose yoke is easy and burden is light. I pray that you would unyoke us from the burdens of religion, that you would unburden us from this heavy saddle of social and cultural, cultural and even religious expectations. You would help us to know, Father God, that every requirement on our life has been met by Jesus and can only be met through Jesus. I pray, God, that some would be saved even this morning. God, that your people would be refreshed and renewed and encouraged and reminded that we are safe in the arms of our Savior. God, might we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that come what may, that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand. Remind us that our salvation is not contingent upon our ability to obey. It has been signed, sealed, and delivered, guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, might we find hope, confidence, zealousness in this reality. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together. Ben is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. I want to invite you, if you would, where you are to just stand. This morning, if you'd say, I've come to the end of my rope, I've run, I've labored, I've made every effort. For some of you, it won't take much convincing for you to come to terms with the reality that you can't save yourself. Some of you staggered in, sin sick and broken, pride out the window. It left you long ago. You've come to terms with the reality that up is the only direction you have left to look. But for those of you who would rest, who've been striving, laboring, struggling, come to Jesus and rest in him. There's salvation in Christ. There is salvation in Jesus. The forgiveness of your sin and the hope of everlasting life is to be found in Christ. Come to him. Come to him. Church folks, make the focus of your prayers in these next moments be to know him. When you know him, you'll love him. Knowing him changes everything about our life in the here and now and everything about the life that is to come. If you're here this morning and you seek to be joined in the fellowship of our church, know that we would absolutely love to have you as a part of our faith family. We invite you to come. 
Maybe you're here as a believer, but you've never been faithful in believer's baptism. Answer the call of God on your life and bear public witness to what Jesus has done invisibly in your heart. What my, my prayer is always for you that you would do just exactly what the Lord leads you to do. Not a bit more than that, and certainly not a bit less. As we sing, you answer God's call. You come. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No to the point. Here's what's going on. The Following Jesus Path Seminar begins today at 4 p.m. in room C200. Following Jesus is a three-week class for parents and children ready to be baptized or children with questions about salvation. This seminar is required for children 12 years and younger to participate in a baptism service. For more information, contact Pastor Kevin. Each year, we provide lunch for the faculties and staffs of our Hernando schools to kick off the new school year. Volunteers are needed tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. to bag cookies, and volunteers will be needed at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday and Thursday to help prep, transport, and serve lunches at the various schools. Anyone interested in serving should meet in the kitchen at the designated time. Contact the church office for details. The women's ministry will host a new Bible study this fall. This study will be held on Wednesday evenings at 6.15 in room 215, beginning with an intro night on August 19th. Cost per person is $10. Register at longviewpoint.org or on our Longviewpoint mobile app. Information for an online option of this study will be available soon. Contact Vera Ann Salters for details. A new men's Bible study will be offered on Tuesdays beginning this week on August 4th. 
all men are invited to join us Tuesdays at 6.15 a.m. or 6.30 p.m. in the student suite. Contact Dale Hare for details. There will be a homeschool luncheon on Monday, August 31st at 11 a.m. All homeschool families are invited to join us. Register to attend at longviewpoint.org or on the Longview Point mobile app. The Med Advanced Conference 2020 will be held August 7th and 8th. This virtual conference is a great opportunity to learn more about how you can be a part of healthcare missions. To attend online, register at imb.org/healthcare or contact Pastor Jason at jason@longviewpoint.org if you're interested in attending a socially distanced viewing party. That's what's going on at the point. Let's expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. Someone pointed out after the first service that one of those slides said that they're going to be preparing teachers uh, meals and cookies at 3 a.m. on tomorrow morning. Here's what I want to say about that. If you come here at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning, the police will come get you. So, so do not come at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. It is 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, and your assistance would be greatly appreciated. There's a couple of other areas where we continue to have needs, and I suspect that we will for the foreseeable future. Um, if you have the ability to work with sound or audio equipment, we still need a few more volunteers to be of help in that area. And in children's or preschool areas, we'll take your assistance. In, in children's and preschool cases, we need more volunteers than we actually need volunteers because we have a number of medical personnel people who volunteer in those areas and in a lot of cases some uh, older adults who may have some medical issues that will prevent them from being able to return for some time or need to be prepared in the event that we have a positive case in a certain area that they're able to withdraw and be in isolation for a season. So that's what I mean by we need more volunteers than we in actuality need volunteers. And there are going to be other areas uh, that are similar to that as well. I'm observing a, a, a growing um, willingness to return to some degree of normalcy, return to the assembly of the church. Even looking around this morning, I saw folks back that I hadn't seen in, in weeks past. Uh, if you're coming back and you're at a place where you're comfortable and you're not serving, maybe your area of service is not on just yet, but you're willing to serve in another area, know that we have a place for you. And uh, we certainly have a number of needs, and those needs are going to be evolving significantly, I suspect, over the next several weeks as school starts back and there are cases that pop up and various other things. But uh, so far, so good in filling the gaps. Make sure that you're keeping up with our social media feeds and keeping an eye on your inbox for any announcements or updates that come for us as things could change relatively quickly. Be safe out there. Be faithful to Jesus. And as we leave this morning, be sure Listen, you, you have limited opportunities at, at, at interacting with other human beings. So make certain that you're capitalizing on those limited opportunities and sharing with those that you come in contact with of what Jesus has done in your life and what he can do in their life too. If you'll stand with me, we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. I hope you have a great day in the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you've done through your Son on our behalf. God, I pray that as we depart this place, as we go back to our home, to restaurants, to work, to business, to whatever it is that the rest of this day has in store, whatever it is that the rest of this week has in store for us, that you keep the gospel fresh in our memory. Lord, that the warp and woof of our life would be to share with others of what Jesus has done for us. 
I pray that you'd open doors, God, that you'd create opportunities for gospel conversations that we could share and tell others of the incredible thing that God has done in our life through his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that believing or unbelieving, that not a soul could leave this morning without an understanding of the message of the gospel. And I ask it in Jesus' name.